Welcome to another episode of the podcast. It's great to have you here. We have two guests for the show today, Dan Bach and Tim Riley. Dan is the founder of Jump Science. He's a coach at Acceleration Sports Performance in Austin, Texas. Dan works with track and field and team sport athlete alike. He's been a multi-time guest on this podcast, and a lot of people benefit from the education Dan does through his channels on social media, on sprint training, jump training, and explosive athletic development. Tim Riley is the Director of Sports Performance at Collective, which is also in Austin, Texas. Tim supervises all pro, collegiate, and youth athletic development there, as well as overseeing and conducting the strength and performance sessions for NFL athletes, professional lacrosse, uh, AVP volleyball, and more. On the show today, Dan and Tim will be getting into their own individual sports training and then strength training, physical preparation training journeys, and how that led them into where they are now. A huge focus of the show will be the developmental, or you could say the total qualities that lead to being an explosive athlete. So often when we look at improving explosiveness, we only look at the end point or the top of the pyramid. We look at the heavy strength training, the high force, high outputs, the high intensity plyometrics. And what we don't realize, and we'll be talking about this, is that you can do something like a high force, heavy strength training with an individual who does not have a good base of movement and ability and explosive high velocity ability preceding that. And you won't get the results that oftentimes people think you will. So Dan and Tim will be going into that extensively. We'll also be talking about a lot of concepts on warmups, assessments, games, and more. This was a really fun chat. And the cool dynamic too with these guys is they're both from the same area. So not only do they have uh, similar coaching trajectories and careers, they also train and work out together. And they also have collaborated on a jump training system together. And it was just really fun chatting with these guys. Before we get to it, I have two sponsors for the show today, and then we'll have an uninterrupted show for y'all. The first is Lost Empire Herbs. If you are looking for natural supplementation in your total performance regimen, I highly recommend Lost Empire Herbs. I've really enjoyed using the products. Uh, Clients I've worked with have gotten great results with it as well. And if you want improved strength, health, vitality, energy, then you definitely want to check out what they have to offer. If you want to dip your toe in and just get something for free, just say, hey, what's this all about? What can it do for me? You can get pine pollen for free. And you can do that by going to justflypinepollen.com. You have to pay a typical modest cost of shipping to get it, but uh, it's a great way to get started. And then if you want 15% off anything else in the Lost Empire Herbs store, such as Shiliagit, Phoenix Formula, some of my favorites, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly and you can code, use the code justfly for 15% off as well. Our next sponsor is the Wearable Resistance Gear Exogen by Leela. The future is light, and I say that in the sense that as a coach, I'm always looking for, and as I go forward in in my own career and profession and even in my own training, I look at being able to do more with less. And being able to do more with less is the epitome of the exogen gear. It is 100, 200 gram microweights. So think of that compared to like a 20 pound weight vest. And you're using those microweights on limbs, arms, legs, you can put on your torso as well to really max out angular momentum of limbs in explosive athletic movement. You can do so much with it. It's extremely powerful. You can internally and externally rotate limbs strategically. You can spin the body left or right. You can assist or resist. It's been used by some of the best coaches in the world. Some of the best track athletes in the world are using this, and they're getting awesome results. So if you want to check out the Exogen Gear you can head to lilateam.com. That's L-I-L-A-Team. 
com and you can use the code JFS2023 for 15% off your order there uh, for Exigen gear. All right, so that all being said, let's get on to the show, episode 355 with Dan Bach and Tim Riley. Just to paint the picture of how you guys see training, I think it's always interesting to look at where you've been. And so maybe not so much even the coaching sphere at first, but tell me a little bit about your athletic story. Like what sports did you guys play growing up and Tell me a little bit about your story of training and how that led you to where you are now. So I came from mostly just like recreational and neighborhood sports as a kid, like, you know, like recess and backyard and et cetera, that type of stuff Um, until getting pretty obsessed with basketball when I was 12. And then that was the only sport I played um, through high school and through uh, even one year of college. Um, and with that basketball mindset, I got into the idea of wanting to dunk when I was 13 and started, um, you know, dunking on low rims and doing squats and calf raises in my basement bedroom at 13 years old. And that was the start of my, my training, uh, journey and training obsession. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was like a good two foot jumper throughout all my basketball career. I was like, no one's a guy who could jump high. Um, and then, you know, in college started to like, like after I was done with college basketball, started really focusing on just trying to jump high as opposed to like, um, you know, actually getting good at basketball. And, uh, that's also when I started training other people. Um, when I got exposure to track athletes and got to work with a couple of them, that's when I discovered sort of, um, that whole realm of, of one track athletes being way faster than other people. And, uh, and two, like how bad I was at it in spite of like all my training background and that sort of, um, you know, piqued my interest in like, oh, there's this whole untapped area of like max velocity and, and, you know, uh, long jump and triple jump type things, um, that I just like am not familiar with and like, just always thought I was a good athlete. And it turns out I was only a good athlete in like a certain realm, but not this realm. Um, and then also, uh, I just like the appeal of being committed to athletic development versus trying to be a good player in a sport. Um, I like the challenge of track and field where it's just straight up, how fast can you get or how far can you jump? And so that really appealed to me. Uh, so that's kind of the direction that, I mean, I've sort of explored in my own training, but also that's the the area that I like to explore and like to uh, work with athletes on um, for, you know, for, uh, like in my in my coaching career. And that that applies to athletes in a variety of sports uh, where, you know, I believe that developing sort of this uh, wide range of explosive outputs, including you know, max velocity, including bounding for distance like that applies and makes people better at a lot of things, even if it's completely not sport specific. Yeah. Tim, how about yourself? Um, yeah, I, uh, me and Dan have some parallels from the training aspect though. For me, I, I started, my first sport, uh, was jujitsu and I started at like three and a half and went all the way until I was eight, but then Somewhere around five or six, I discovered Michael Jordan and became obsessed. And I would spend, uh, if my parents let me, the entire day from sunup to sundown in my driveway doing three, two, one countdowns and fadeaways with the tongue out the whole nine. <laughs> and uh, and I too became, I wanted to dunk. 
You know, I would, I would watch Space Jam and be like, mom, I have to do this. And my parents, I finally nagged them enough. They bought me one of these small trampolines because I couldn't dunk, even though the rim was all the way down. And at like five and six years old, I would run and jump off this trampoline and dunk. And I, uh-huh. dude, I did that for years. And like, I would gradually move the rim up, you know, and then of course, like low rim dunks without the trampoline once I was actually able to do so. Um, so oh, ba- I, fell, I fell in love with basketball. And that was my primary sport um, all the way into high school. I started playing football as well. Jiu-jitsu kind of fell to the wayside because it wasn't necessarily as cool as it is now. Like I was kind of like the karate nerd, you know, and it didn't matter how many trophies I won. Like I would bring the, you know, we'd have like show and tell at school and they'd be like, whatever, loser. Um, So (laughs) now, now it's, now it's cool. You know, uh, UFC has made it much more acceptable, but it it wasn't when, you know, in the mid early nineties. And so, yeah, I, uh, my, uh, athletic career really ended in in high school um and it was after high school i got back into fighting and i fought semi-professionally for a couple years um and you know when my athletic career you know uh organized sports i should say ended i found that um one i missed it and two um that I really didn't enjoy training, like the the physical aspect of training, like it was kind of miserable to me when I was playing. And then when sports were gone, like that was the only thing that remained. And it it started admittedly with like vanity, like I wanted to look a certain way, you know. Um, but I got bored with that pretty quickly, and I just kind of became obsessed with training in general. Um, and as the years went by, it became more and more about like how can I push myself? Like Dan said, uh, I got fascinated with being able to jump higher. You know, I could dunk since probably my sophomore year of high school. And, um, and then in my mid twenties, I started taking it as like, Oh, I can do this professionally. Like I can do this for a living. Um, and I got just a, a dinky certification and, you know, I uh, got my foot in the door and it, and it wasn't a DQ certification. It was a good one, but it was, you know, it's just like a random certification. And, uh, and then from there, it was like gasoline on the fire. Um, anything sports performance related, I was all over it. I became obsessed with seeing what I was capable of. And then any opportunity I got to train athletes, um, you know, I, I, may, I prioritized that. And over the past six years, um, that obsession, that that desire to learn, the desire to experiment on myself and see what I'm capable of has sort of culminated to where I'm at today. Cool. Yeah, the martial arts was something that I always I always wanted to do when I was little. I was always watch like the you know the karate shows and stuff, and and imagine I was you know good at that and practiced all like the kicks and stuff when I was little. But I never formally entered anything. But it's something that I'll, my children are four and six, and uh, my six year old will get be getting into jujitsu shortly just and part of that's just because i think you know it's like you said tim with you know there's sport and training and i think sometimes when it becomes only training and it, like you always the martial arts is something you can always have like you know there's people yeah. doing that type. I, I mean granted it's all something you can always always have you know but it's uh spending time with like rafe kelly and looking at the different i remember i went to return to the sources uh seminar a couple of years ago and all, the whole group was around we were doing like some roughhousing like type grappling type stuff and they, there was like 30 people there and, and he, he said, uh, raise your hand if you have martial arts experience. And literally 
I was one of the only two who did not raise my hand. I was like, I felt so. I was like, is something wrong with me? Like, I don't. But it's like just the just the I, the more I look at it too, I like reading like Bruce Lee's stuff or looking at you could call it the soft side, the the really getting into the the inner the inner components of movement as well as just the athleticism. I think that you know if I look at like a well roundedness um, for a, not just like physically but also mentally and the way you just look at sport and movement and combat and the embodiment of doing something that's combat or hand to hand or even like skin to skin, you could say, you know, uh, I think is there's something to that. So that's definitely something I'll, I'm looking at getting my, um, we, we were already going to sign up a while ago, but I'm excited to get my kids in that. I'm excited to like watch, you know, whatever, you know, whatever I end up observing. I know that other strength coaches who have put their kids in martial arts and they watch practice like, oh, they did this. You know, I'm going to put that in my ses- training session for my, you know, general physical. Yeah. If you have anything that I'd be curious that you. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I uh, you know, uh, I could go on and on about how I feel like starting martial arts at an early age and learning how to interact and body awareness and leverage and um, being able to not be afraid how to be in someone else's personal space and discipline. And I go on and on about that. I, I can tell you, you know, I also, my daughter, she's five and a half and I got her into jujitsu at three and a half. And, you know, her first day she got body slammed and cried and said, I, daddy, I never want to do this again. So naturally we were there the next night. And she fell in love with it and the confidence. Um, and then now as she's playing other sports, um, she's in gymnastics, she does soccer, basketball. I can see a lot of those drills and her body awareness and her ability to fall and get right back up and how to fall and how to interact with the ground. Um, it just, th- there are things that she does that seem innate to her that I see other kids struggle with. Now, I may be saying that because I'm biased and I'm her father, but I, I, I do feel like there are some things that jujitsu has uh, lent her that she'll probably be able to lean on for the rest of her life. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, it's something that I could almost spend like 20 minutes talking about this, but I won't because we have a lot of other things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and Dan, I have a question about track. I'll ask you in just a second here. But I, you know, in, in coaching like youth sports, like I've been coaching youth soccer for I think a little over two years now. And it's so interesting because you watch these little kids play. And it's like the biggest thing that stands in a child's way at that level is not so much. It is a little bit their natural skill and speed, but it's a, a huge part of it is just their fearlessness. And the kids who are afraid, they don't even get in the mix. Like there's like, you know, the big mess of kids are on the ball and the kids who are timid, like they don't even want to go near it. And it's not that they aren't skilled. It's not that they might not be fast. It's literally they just are uncomfortable or there's too much information and they check out because they are uncomfortable. But then I also look and I think about it. Well, I think about it in the sense of what happens a lot of times is the parents feel embarrassed that their kid is too timid. So they yell at their kid, ah, get it, you know. But in reality, what if you just, I mean, that's where I'm going to be looking at the difference once I enroll my daughter in the martial arts is to see if that happens organically, you know, because I just want to see how she takes the lessons and the confidence from something that does involve getting in someone's space and all the, I think the uh, personal mental and emotional things that come with that and then see how that might transform her next steps as she goes forward. So it's an experiment that I'm, I'm I mean, I was going to put her in it anyways, you know, but I'm also, I just think it, it maybe it lends to another thing where, you know, you could talk about sports specialization and one of the 
one of the things that I think is interesting as I've heard the the different sports teach you something mentally different. And I don't think we approach that that often. I mean, Dan, you're a, I didn't know you were such a specialist in basketball. <laughs> I was just going to use the crap about that. So, um, you know, I was curious, too, and I was going to ask you, you know, if you would have done other sports. You, know, I, you mentioned you did track later and you were slower. I'm curious if you what your thoughts if you would have started that at like age 12, you know, like that's about when I started track. I actually wasn't. I actually was pretty slow initially, and I was never truly fast. <laughs> but I think at least starting earlier helped me. You know, I, I think if I wouldn't have got started early, I would have definitely not had the speed peak that I did later. So yeah, I'm just curious what your thoughts are with, especially for a guy too, like you could jump very high off two feet, and I think one foot as well. But, but you know, your two foot jump, from my understanding, is your specialty. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just curious what, how you see yourself and your abilities in light of like what you see at a track athletes, like speed, single leg, that, that quicker reacti- uh, reactive end of the spectrum. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think definitely could have been way, way better at it. Um, I've seen, you know, even being, being washed up like 35 now, like I still see like signs of progress when I'm consistent with that type of thing. Um, and, and that's, you know, at my age and then, yeah, in, in the teenagers or the, yeah, the, even the 12, 13 year olds, it's like, you get them sprinting a couple times a week. Like you might see a difference within a few weeks, you know, or even with sometimes it's like within a couple sessions, like, Oh yeah, they're like already faster. Um, and then, yeah, like they're, you know, their progress on like hopping or something can just be like, sometimes it's very evident within weeks. And I just think, man, if I would have been doing this <laughs> when I was, you know, eight, nine, 12, whatever. Um, yeah, it could have been a, a huge difference. And yeah, so would I have been a like dramatically higher jumper? I don't know. I mean, I touched the top of the box as a high school sophomore. Like I was a good two foot jumper. Would I have been dramatically higher? Maybe not. Would I have been definitely faster? Would I have been jumping quicker? Would I have been jumping, you know, maybe equally high off one leg? Maybe. Um, would I have, you know, I actually did dabble in, in track and field, tried high jump as a junior, a high school junior. I actually uh, pulled my hamstring doing hurdles and ended up kind of giving up on the season. But, uh, you know, I, I like I think that I probably should have been a track and football athlete as well as basketball, if I, you know, if I could go back. Um, yeah, if I would have had somebody like my current self to guide me, then, uh, yeah, I would have had a very, very different, uh, sports participation. And yeah, I believe athletic ability when it comes to speed and quickness, I think probably could have been dramatically different. Yeah, I would have viewed you, you know, if I had never, if I had just watched you dunk, I would have thought you would be like an awesome triple jumper or something, you know, if you had started that early with like that that kind of movement profile of yours and yeah the other thing that i would still wonder about is you know when i got obsessed with jumping um i was doing my standard workout was two sets of 100 calf raises five days per week and looking at myself you know and now when i I get to my like my late 20s and i'm like okay i'm a great jumper but I like, why is my max velocity so bad? And I really wonder about some of the, hmm. uh, the, the negative influence of all those calf raises as a, as a teenager versus, you know, as opposed to uh, what if those were all sprinting contacts instead? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why I'm still like trying to, I'm still 
experimenting with, can I reverse that? And I'm trying to, you know, do all the running, all the plyos and lose my ankle mobility and, yeah. uh, and see if it can, you know, like actually turn back into, uh, you know, a nice tight, stiff, uh, ankle, of course, being 225 doesn't help either, but you know, um, doing, well, doing I will I say, I will say, Dan, Dan, I don't, you guys know anyone listening to this isn't going to be able to see it, but he has lineman caps. Yeah, I was I mean, going to say, you have huge calves, Dan. Is that your secret? Dude. Yeah, huge calves. <laughs> he has lineman calves. <laughs> I remember back from the day with my graduate research, and yeah, I was like, Dan, this guy with his huge calves jumping higher than everyone else on two feet here. <laughs> That's how me and Joel met, for those who don't know. I was a participant in his research at UW Lacrosse. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw you dunking in the gym before that at some point, though. I, I, okay. I, I, so I think I was like barely dunking, and you were like doing windmills or something like that. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, it is interesting, actually, now that you say that, you know, and, and I don't want to talk about this too, although it could feed into jumping, but it is interesting because your, your jumping style, Dan, does seem to be a little bit more, like you said, you have a lot of calf mobility, like you use up a lot of the slack in your calves and maybe that became, yeah, you can do that obviously off a two feet a lot more in the, like the second to last leg and whatnot. But yeah, I'm curious mm-hmm. how much you think, I mean, like, yeah, you just said it. I'm curious how much that did end up kind of defining versus if you just start doing like long jump and sprints and hurdles from a long time ago and how that would have changed your profile. Hard to say how much, I don't know. I believe some though, because I, I, yeah. I do think, you know, people don't generally need to be concerned about negative impact of calf raises, but yeah, I don't think so. A couple sets of a hundred, five days per week that, you know, <laughs> how, how long did you do that? How long did you do that for again? I mean, so that was like, when I was 13, I did that for probably over a year straight, nice. like into age 14. Yeah. And then, you know, by the time I was 15, I know I had like changed routines. I was on more of like a two days per week and I had like more, more exercises going on. Um, but yeah, I don't remember exactly when I stopped doing that, but over a year for sure of like uh, weekly Five days per week sets a hundred cap raises. Yeah, sets of twenty five on squat was what I was doing. Nice. I did uh, sets of twenty on bench when I first. I was unwittingly. I I was somehow intuitively in the ether doing one by twenty. Yeah. Long time before, but I did it every day. I, I brought my bench up to my, my. It was a weight bench in the basement. Brought it up to my room and I did one set of twenty every night. And actually, I increased my bench for a long time that way. Actually, uh, until uh, I finally you know stalled out. It was never great, but. It is funny how everything can work for a little while. I did, you know, now that you say it, Dan, I, I did a lot of calf raises too, but I did, um, I remember doing like single leg with a bar on my back. I don't think I ever did a hundred. I, I, I would get bored. I, I don't know how you, you must have, you have, must have more dedication than me because I would have gotten bored at that point. I did. Uh, I don't know what was wrong with 13 year old me. I don't. <laughs> I quit. I quit I not. after week three. <laughs> it's too many, too many jumps. Yeah. I, uh, okay. So I, my, my bench press was in my bedroom, which was in the basement and the, the end of the bar literally like hung over me while I slept. Um, and my bench press was also my squat rack. So what I'm saying is my beginnings are more humble than yours, Joel. (laughs) I did. I will say I did have a bench press squat, but it was like, it was a kind of squat. Like it, it went high enough that you could still squat it. And so, but I didn't sleep under it. I did. I did not sleep under it. <laughs> I had a drum set in that room too. At one point, it was pretty. Uh, 
pretty crowded. Yeah, you got the rhythm. You got the rhythm and the weights, man. That's that's something. You know, I was going to say too, as you were saying, talk about the hurdles, and Tim, you were talking about the you know jujitsu and the martial arts. I I just had a podcast uh, with Ryan Banton not too long ago. He was talking about for his track athletes, like everyone hurdles, like their freshman year, everyone hurdles, no matter what hmm. year. I, I I think I mean if you're like a, a discus throw, I don't think you do, or you know. I, but if you're a sprinter, you hurdle and. You know, I was thinking, you know, if you think of like general physical preparation, sometimes I think, well, what, you know, I mean, ultimately part of the beauty of being a human is there's so many different things to do. But if there was like a general, you know, I mean, phys ed has kind of become sports performance in some respects, you know, and if it's like, well, how can we prepare people for, um, for a variety of abilities? I think, well, if we were doing martial arts and hurdling, I think those are two pretty good general abilities that I think would go a long way for developmental, or even shoot, even like early high school or whatever. Maybe if I, you know, when I uh, coach track on the high school level, be like, all right, we're all going to wrestle for 10 minutes and then we're all going to hurdle for, and the coach is crazy. <laughs> I probably, I suppose I probably would, the wrestling, maybe not, but uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> I just, I just curious, you know, um, you know, maybe, or maybe, you know, either your thoughts or maybe Tim in particular with that, or I don't know, like Dan, I know you do hurdling or have athletes hurdle as well. And, Tim, I'm curious if some of the actual grappling stuff ends up, you know, with football or whatever, or any of the actual grappling stuff ends up in your sessions. Just curious about those aspects of things. So, uh, you know, it's tough because, um, one, I think if I, if I would make an addition to that list, I would say, you know, grappling or wrestling, you know, hurdling, uh, it, racing, making mm-hmm. it, every bit of it being competitive. And then also, um, you know, some sort of tag some sort of of tag maybe like even with like some obstacles involved um you know i'll use my daughter as another example she's going to be the star of the show uh she goes to gymnastics and she does parkour and which um you know i know that you've done episodes in the past uh you know with either parkour athletes or coaches and you know i saw these kids at four and five years old and the the and six and seven and the bulk of their training is like broad jumps for distance, bounding for distance, you know, jumping from one mark and trying to land, jump as far as they can and land on one foot, climbing mm. up a wall. Um, and uh, so naturally she's enrolled in parkour now. She does it every Tuesday night and she loves it. And they play this game. It's called flag tag and you have to bear crawl or crab walk um, you know, some, some, or some form of interacting with the ground and you're playing tag. And if you stand up, you're out. And then obviously if someone pulls your flag, you're out. Mm. And I'm just watching her, first of all, jealous because it looks like so much fun. Um, and she's clearly having a blast, but like she's training, she doesn't know it, but like she's getting stronger. She's learning how to dodge and manipulate and use her body to, uh, impact the other person and create space and separation. Um, so, you know, I think any, anything like that, where there's, there's a gamification piece where you're having to interact with another person or several people and account for all that stuff at the same time, um, that, that can be really invaluable and the earlier, the better. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, I know, uh, Rafe Kelly, who, you know, I mentioned the return of the source. He was posting videos of his son who I think at age eight had like, and a lot, he does a lot of things, but does a ton of, spends a ton of time at the ninja gym. He's always posting like the parkour gym and his kid already has like a huge standing broad jump and like does a lot of things really well athletically. And I'm like, man, like this is such an important, even I just even had a post on social media just talking about depth jumps. And I was like, the longer I've been through this, the more I think like 
all the things that you know, we talk about depth jumps as a holy grail and it's a great tool, but there's so many things you can do before you get to that that are I think really valuable and you know I I think uh, I think um Jake Tura had done kind of like a poll of all the different like pro dunkers or something and it was interesting cuz it seemed like a lot of them didn't weren't that heavy on plyometrics. It was more like lots of dunking, playing and strength training were the base and then I you know I maybe some did more plyos, maybe some didn't, but you know, at, I'd be curious for you guys' thoughts on that as well. And, uh, you know, Dan, I know you talked about fun jumps. This is actually like one of the first questions with jumping, you know, that I had. <laughs> but yeah, thoughts on like if you built a pyramid of, and maybe we'll start with talking more about jumping, but that leads to like a very high eventual peak of jumping ability. I'm sure there's a lot of ways to get there. Um, but just thoughts on that, especially in terms of, yeah, parkour, lower rim dunks fun games that you know volleyball obviously right like you talk about games like as you were talking even tim i was thinking well how could i you know mess with the constraints around basketball to make a game that rewarded even more athleticism out of it you know what i'm saying like which i wouldn't have needed because i was i was good i was bad at the skill stuff in basketball but you know like it was more it was all the decision making and managing you know like anxiety about the game and things or whatever like that was my problem it wasn't but i i as you're talking it's like oh how could i make the game even more you know athletically demanding so anyways uh yeah curious on like a pyramid of jumping thoughts on fun jumps diverse jumps you know and and dan you obviously talked about you know hurdling as well um and you i know dan you talked about this as well in the first podcast we did but yeah just collaboratively talking about um, building towards like an ultimate, like higher pyramid of performance when it comes to jumping and skill development through the years. Yeah. So I think, you know, the thing that I've talked about a lot is just like that history of jumping. Mm-hmm. You just have to do like jump in a way that's fun and do it consistently for years. But, you know, what comes to mind, like with this conversation is, okay, that should come on, on top of a, a base of more variety and that's where i think um yeah running agility yeah interacting with with an object or other people on the ground like that that all should be in the early childhood uh you know movement variety scope um and then yeah i like also like throwing I don't mm. like maybe not directly going to translate to higher jumping, but just, you know, the, the connectedness of the body, you know, upper to lower the velocity, you know, of the arm movement, just things like that. Like I think throwing is a good thing to have a history of doing as well. Um, and then, yeah. So I think like the parkour taps into that. I think, um, yeah, like the tag stuff, that's all good. I, I honestly I do like the idea of like kids sprinting and racing in a straight line. Um for for sure. Then yeah, I, honestly the the grappling or the wrestling, that that there's an appeal there as well to me as far as having that background of um yeah, physicality <laughs> and and uh you know not we're not just operating in a, a limited plane here it's but it's just like uh you know we're trying to battle somebody in any possible way we can and you know every direction that you can think of your body can move it's going to use like you know I, I like that too so yeah i guess uh wrestling racing some type of agility and throwing would be my base of the pyramid and then 
from there at some point get obsessed with jumping and do that uh do that consistently for a long time and then at some point after you have years of those things okay now we add in strength and we make that a long-term pursuit as well and because we have this background of all these other things the strength is going to transfer well and then we just you know keep jumping and getting stronger for the over the course of the rest of your career you know that would there's my pyramid oh and i yeah i guess files come in somewhere too (laughs) yeah Yeah, i I, just to piggyback off that like i think that there's so much value in because I, I I still train a lot of high school athletes and I, well, I train at every level currently. And like something that I've found is the best athletes, the most intuitive athletes um, were already really explosive, fast, powerful, good movers. However you want to look at that before they touched a weight mm-hmm. or before they took weight training seriously. And I think that there's something to be said too, just from observation where, you know, the kids that mature a little faster physically, just not necessarily more explosive or faster, but are just able to throw their weight around, especially, you know, with field sports or contact sports who learn to rely on their strength and use that as their primary mode of being able to dominate or win. and then everyone else catches up. And now it's like, okay, now you have to start thinking about what do I need to do to get more athletic? Because you don't just look at size and say that person's athletic. You look at someone who's big and can move and can jump and can run and can make decisions quickly. Um, and so, I, you know, I, 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 in personal opinion, I, I find that the, the best athletes, the best movers, the most dynamic um, playmakers are generally people who have had a lot of exposure to all like a bunch of different movements uh, or different bunch of different modalities that are fast, that can jump high, that can move well, and then they get strong. Um, so if, if I had to, you know, take my daughter again, you know, if I'm, if I, if I'm making the master plan for her eventual D1 scholarship, um, I, would hope that she learns how to develop these qualities of being explosive, jumping well, sprinting fast, moving efficiently, um, and then being able to infuse some raw horsepower in the form of strength training on top of that. Yeah, that's that's actually something I wanted to ask you guys about was that like progression when like when to get into strength training and who strength training works better for. Uh, but actually, before I get to that one, a couple I had that. Um, like little blur about well constraints on basketball right like how do we ramp up the athleticism and as, as you were talking uh, Tim and Dan I was thinking about Jeremy Frisch talking about growing up playing tackle basketball on the little hoop like in the like in their house or something and I was so like awesome. I think I think that covers maybe the most bases or if it was like especially if it's like low rim and you can dunk it if it's like there's tackling there's grappling and you can dunk there was some um, <laughs> the, oh yeah go ahead a basketball hoop in a three-foot pool is the most fun. <laughs> Listen, at least for this guy, like me and a few buddies that are overly over competitive, give us a basketball and a hoop that sits about three feet above a three-foot shallow end of a pool, and there will be wrestling, there will be trash talking, it'll be dunking on each other. Like that, to me, 
Uh, and I did that growing up, you know, just like every day, like we're going to my buddy's pool and we're going and we would wrestle and get into eventually get into actual fights and <laughs> have to be separated. And but, I, you know, all of that, all, all of those days stacked up together. Um, I think there's a lot of value in that. And there's this play component. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the, the the water polo slash tackle football slash basketball um, is like the perfect mix of all of those things. The mm-hmm. ultimate is the quest for the ultimate game. I think I used to be on the quest for like <laughs> the ultimate exercise. You know, it's like, oh, what's the best? Like there was in the, the old DB Hammer or whatever book. It was like the depth jump with the bands pulling you down and the people step their feet off and it. Like that's the ultimate exercise. To be honest, I found that actually does work pretty well. It's not one I <laughs> tend to use a lot, but it's in my experience, it has when you're ready for it, it's, it's worked pretty decently. Uh, but that being said, I, I care a lot more about, well, what's the ultimate like environment, the ultimate environment? What's the ultimate game? Like, and it, there's no ultimate game, but I will say like, yeah, something like tackle, ba- which I never had the honor of being able to play tackle basketball. I'm sure it would have invoked many fights between my brother and I. Um, but I was also thinking about uh, a good one. Like I was thinking about like, how you get hurtling in there, chasing. Uh, there was a good one at King of the Course. Rafe Kelly had talked about maybe on the last show. Yeah, that he, him and um, Charles St. John was on. But basically, it's like you have logs in a U shape and one team starts at one end. You could even just have like plyo boxes lined up across the gym. Basically, you have one team on one end, one on the other. You have little like rocks scattered throughout the, that you can step on. You just can't get knocked off the log or the rocks. And then you basically, it's basically a shoving wrestling match to get to the other side. And you can stand there and fight. You can stand in a corner and like stand your ground. You can try to hold the person in front of you from getting knocked off. You can try to jump on the rocks and make your way. It just, it always ends up though, 95% of your attempts will end up in you getting shoved off the log and then you just run back. It's like, you know, kind of, it's just, it's just, I always think about how do we infuse these fun, roughhousing like childhood type games with and then then blending that and leading that into like athletic because it's all it's all there like the aggressiveness too i think really brings a lot of those inner athletic qualities out it's like a, a, a watering it's like a sur- um, <laughs> fertile soil for for that to grow and so the next question actually that i wanted to ask you guys was um and maybe well i do want to ask about the skill before the lifting like how you view that progression and when, when we get into weights and things but uh Actually, what I'll do is I'll, I'll skip a question, and I wanted to talk about assessments and uh, well, warm ups. Really, is how do you guys treat the warm ups in the sense of like you know games? You have a lot of we have a lot of tools at our disposal, and I'm sure it depends on the group. But uh, we have like games or explorations or more typical movement prep uh, or more speed, typical speed related warm ups and those things. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you guys view uh, the warm-up process leading into whatever the main uh, brunt of the session is. Depending, I'm sure, very group-dependent as well. Um, so if you want to give a few examples, that's cool too. But thoughts on how you guys go about that? So I would say I do more of a traditional warm-up style most often. Um, part of that is because I do one-on-one training. So the, like, the gamification is a little tougher. The competing is a little tougher um i also i do that because i want to get some of some of the training stimulus starts right away in the warm-up um like ex, you know extensive plyos being a key one there um even yeah like you know skipping things like that um like i'm starting to get some things in that i want to from a, just a workout standpoint within the warm-up um i do wrinkle in things like 
you know, when it's one-on-one, just things like catch, ch- catching the ball in different ways, um, been messing around with like, you know, ducking under a, a rope in different ways or like crawling under it different ways. Like I'll mix those types of things in. Um, but it might be two minutes of that. And then, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, uh, we're still going to do some lunges, still going to do some hinges. I'm going to ask them about things during the warm up. That's another part is it's conversational, whereas games are not that way so much. Um, so yeah, I, I'm s- still tend to be a little more on that traditional, like dynamic warm up uh, type of uh, type of approach um, with just yeah a little bit of the play mixed in there. Yeah, I, I I'm with Dan there. You know, Dan and I, I basically I've adopted Dan's traditional dynamic warm up over the years, pretty much, and added some things in uh, that I like personally. And but to pick it back off what he was saying, like I having something consistent um, on a and. I'll speak on it from a group setting and from one-on-one. So in the one-on-one setting, it, it is more difficult to, to gamify things um, in the sense like it's, it's hard to create that competition unless you're jumping in there with them, which sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm like, hey, I'm working out with <laughs> you today, here. man. And I, I got and kids love that. They love it. It's fun for me. So that's a way to sort of spice things up. And I, And naturally, I've developed a relationship where I'll trash talk them and they can they can give it, receive it, and you know, depending on the person. But most kids, uh, they they do well with that. Um, but you know, when whether whether it's like you know, starting from like squatting, hinging, lunging, all the way up into like extensive hops, single leg hops, skipping for height, skipping for distance. All of these things are an incredible assessment tool. Session to session, are they improving? You know, what what levers can we pull to improve certain qualities? Um, and even from the very first session, like using that dynamic warm up as an assessment in and of itself, like a movement screen, like, okay, like, uh, can this person perform a squat? If they can, can they perform it well all the way to like, do they know how to skip? Like, can they even skip? And, uh, you know, Joel, you might, you guys here might not be surprised, but like some, and forget the high school athletes, some adults, adult mm-hmm. athletes, they go to skip and they're like, wait a minute now. And I got to, I say, start small, find rhythm, find timing, and then we can start to push out. And they'll do two, have to do two or three reps where they're just focusing on getting connected back to the skill that is skipping. And then we can go for height and then we can go for distance. Um, but on the other end, with like some of the larger groups, for example, um, the NFL offseason training program here the other day, uh, it was a smaller group. We've been working together for a while. We went and played Danny ball outside. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's where it's basically volleyball, but with a medicine ball instead. And we did that for 45 minutes. And that was the majority of the session for that day. And it was awesome. Lots of trash talking, lots of guys laying out, um, but also, you know, a great stimulus. And then, you know, we went and had uh, basically a beach day upper body workout after that. Um, so, yeah. 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 I'm just, I'm curious just because I think there's, there's a lot of ways you can run a warm up. You know, there's a lot of roads to Rome. I think part of it fits with a little bit, even with your own personality, um, with your own personality to a degree. I think some coaches personalities are just a little bit more structured and a little bit more ABC and other people, especially people who I think are a little more ADD. I point at myself on that one. Like if I watch, and I, and I know my bias, like if I watch like a, 
and I and I did this for years where I would watch a warm-up go by piece by piece by piece. And I just and if I was always thinking, well, if I'm bored, you guys gotta be bored. And a lot of times that was hundred percent true. And then a part of I get part of it, I guess, has been how do you retain enough structure to, like you said, you have things that you can see and observe, especially with a large group. Um, because I do I do think that with a large group and you want to be able to see how they're moving and uh, being able to check various elements that lead up into the main session, I, I do see the importance in that. It's just, For me, a lot of my in-persons are one-on-one. And I'll do, I, I think I've done so many things. Um, I borrowed this idea from like Tyler Yerby and Michael Zufel and Sean Mishka. Basically, just you take a stick and I... I think I've come up with a million ways that you can jump over the stick, dodge the stick, duck the stick. You can you know, do the matrix while the stick goes over your head. You can like, I, 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 I'll do like, you'll do a cartwheel over it. Like, I think I've almost exhausted those types of things, but I think sometimes one-on-ones you, you, you know, the person pretty well. And so you already know their general movement um, characteristics and things like that. So yeah, I'm, it is, it's something that too, I was looking at, there was an art show I was watching. It wasn't a show completely about, about art, but someone had mentioned like uh, the different types of art. And one is a surrealism. And this brought me back to like the humanities class in college that I just totally blew off. <laughs> but, but, but I'm like, oh, this is important because like, it was interesting. Like the surrealist artist, a part of surrealism is you, you literally just, whatever your pen hits, you draw. Like, you know, you don't think about it. You just kind of like whatever's, and in that form of art, whatever's on the inside can just come out with a minimal amount of interference. And I do think, like, I've spent a lot of time uh, mentoring under Paul Cater, who his his whole warm-up is that. It is all surrealism. It is literally <laughs> whatever is on my instinct, my gut, we're going to do. And those were honestly some of the most fun, immersive, and exciting warm-ups I've ever done. But it'd be funny because, like, I remember one day we had an awesome workout, him and I together, that he had kind of just gone off that surrealist method. And the next day, I was like, hey, that was awesome, Paul, let's do it again. And he's like, I can't. <laughs> like, I can't. Like, because you, you can't repeat. It's like a piece of art. You can't make the same piece of art twice. And so I think that could be frustrating for some people. I think if you're at a professional setting too, and you're like, you know, ripping the, ripping it off the cuff every day, some people are going to be like, ah, I don't know. You're like, is this good? Is this bad? You know, Rhett Larson does that though for national organizations, like pretty well. I wouldn't say it, he, but he plans it. He's got it all. He's got it all written out exactly what he's going to do beforehand. So even though it's, it's different and there's a lot of games and things, it's still like, here's the thermogenic, here is the physiological. We are checking this box. All right, now we'll get into the games and, and some of the like novelty, I think, like novelty attention driving and those types of things. So um, I just I just rambled for a long time. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, anything you guys, any further things off that? Because again, I'm, I am definitely more, my, my attention and what I think is fun tends to keep me on more of the game end of things. But, you know, I'm, I'm just curious if you guys have any other thoughts on that one. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't criticize anything anyway. Like, any, yeah, like, if someone you know has some reasons they're doing a warm up style a certain way, I'm like, okay, that's cool, um, and I'm definitely not opposed to like a completely play based warm up. Like, totally fine with it. Um, yeah, it's not my personal like instinctive style to do that. Um, I also do like in my head some of the things I think about are okay, what is this athlete already doing, and like everybody that I train does their sport a bunch. They already have a lot of play going on. The playbook. And it may be, it may be like one type of play, which is unfortunate, but um, yeah, I still have that, that view of like, okay, you know, what are they doing? How much time do we have? And, and what do they really need to do in this 60 minutes? And uh, 
yeah, just like a completely exploratory play-based 30-minute session of, you know, what it, like, it's just not really going to be the the right thing for that context. But uh, yeah, certainly like, shoot, me and Tim go to Zilker Park and we like throw a Frisbee and like throw a football high over our heads and just try to catch it and, you know, whatever. And I, I break Tim's ankles constantly. Like, um, <laughs> stop. False. <laughs> but, but we do, you know, or, or spike ball or yeah. um, we, he and I, there's this game, we'll take a racquetball and one of us will throw it and you have to catch it off one hop. But the goal of the person throwing it is to put it out where it's almost just out of reach. So it can only bounce one yeah. time and you have to catch it, right? And so there's this, you don't know where the ball is going to be thrown. So there's this element where you've got to read, react. You got to get on your horse to get to the ball. And then you got to do whatever you got to do. And, you know, me and Dan being the way that we are, which is competitive um, (laughs) to say the least is, you know, eventually we're laying out, you know, trying to catch this (laughs) racquetball and we're dodging other humans that are just trying to have a normal time at the park. Um, But yeah, yeah. so the, the play element, um, while it's not like a, it's, it's not, it's not the standard necessarily. Um, I, I, I am Dan and I both do that enough in our own training where it's like, there's tons of value. And, uh, certainly like all of my best dunks have come after like a quick pickup game mm-hmm. of basketball or like, um, for example, uh, I jumped my best broad jump ever. Um, was 32 feet and triple, you know, that, broad, jump. Was, triple broad jump. Thank you. Yeah, yes. Thank you. Were you on the moon? Yeah. Were you on the moon, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dan, for bringing me back, back down to earth. Uh, triple broad jump, 32 feet, but it was after playing, you know, 45 minutes of pickleball, mm-hmm. um, which actually during this conversation, I've been thinking to myself, I'm like, God, I got a kid who would love to play pickleball. We're going to, I do that for his warm up next time he comes yeah. in. Um, so yeah, I, I I do think that there's a time and place. I think constraints and how much time you have, um, and the group setting definitely makes makes a difference on whether or not it it makes sense. Um, but that being said, like I, I do like to spice it up from time to time. Yeah, I think you know, yeah, like you said, Dan. There's so many ways to do it. I I guess if I think about it too, I look at it as there's always like a balance point. There's the, you know, the Dantian or the the middle, the Dao, like where it's almost like if you had four days a week, because I've been through this myself where, where I, I remember I had a stretch, it was about age 36 and I had had, I think I just had <laughs> two kids and, and working for a long time. My nervous system was just not in a great place. My lifts were kind of down. And so to counter that, I like literally every day was a, a game for warm up, and mm-hmm. which is cool. But I do think that it's not as special when you to play a game sometimes when you don't do more traditional stuff. And so it's like, because if you if you are doing traditional over and over again, and then the one day you go play a game, kids are like, yeah, like they are so excited. And it's almost mm-hmm. even more, I just did a really good podcast with Scott Robinson talking about attention. I mean, that is like, you're going from a somewhat mundane to attention. And I guess the thing is why well, I always want to drive attention, but there is also maybe... Um, and I don't want to call it novelty to discipline necessarily, but there is something about like I'm training hard. There is a level 
And, and, you know, I look at even like, there's a lot of ways to do it too. Like swimming, you, you do have a traditional warrant, but you also have a social kick at the beginning. You're on a kickboard, kick it, talking to your buddies, whatever. You're not really, it's like uh, Richard Chavis was talking about, have, um, I don't think on my podcast, but like he'd start his gen pop clients, like grab a buddy and you're going to carry a sandbag together. Like one person carry it. You can like walk by Mm -hmm. your buddy and then drop it off or something. And then, but then you would, I think like in the swimming, after you do the social thing, you'd get into the more traditional. I think there is. Like, especially coming from a track background, I, I do think that I love games. I mean, I, I remember, I think that's about where I was headed at Wilmington about, it was my last year there where I had started with one game a week on Wednesday and every other day was traditional. And then two years into it of the four, three years into it of the four, we were warming up with the ultimate Frisbee twice a week. And I think mm. that was about the sweet spot, like twice a week, like is fun. And <laughs> I mean, it's all, I guess, fun if you do track, like, you know, I mean, not everyone loves doing <laughs> the typical warm up stuff, but I guess, yeah, just thinking about that because there is that mindset of I am going to train with this specific directive today. And I do think that if it's always a game, you could potentially, you know, run the risk of not ever kind of finding that discipline on some level. And so, you know, maybe there's something that that to be considered as well. Yeah. That'll lead me into, you know, I think we're with the assessment. I asked you part of the question or part of the, the theme there, but with assessments like we've all you know heard about the fms or like you know and and the research with that and like trying to find what matters when we run athletes through not just like the warm-up but the actual assessment the warm-up can be the assessment of course but i'm curious what you guys' process is on assessing athletes so do you uh, like do you run them through a the same test everyone who comes in what do you look at that you are going to go back to curious how you guys go through that assessment type process in your in your training yeah, so I have a I have a combine basically that I do, um, which is uh, 10, 20, 40 yard sprints, uh, fly time, um, and then vertical jump, broad jump. I'll do different types of vertical jump depending on the athlete. Like, uh, you know, I'm always going to do standstill, but then some people I'm going to do like approach off two and approach off both uh, single leg jumps. Um, then uh rsi sometimes i'll do single rsi depends on the athlete um and then also the 1080 sprint we have that for feedback as well um and then you know at some point i'll probably get a look at how strong they are but that's that's not not usually like an urgent matter in my opinion um with at least not with the population that i work with um so yeah it's basically a combine and it'll get shifted a little bit like um i may not do max velocity right away with a volleyball player you know like it's not as much of a concern but i do still want to try to train that piece um but yeah it's like uh you know a whole series of metrics and then i'm trying to improve them over time so i i you know if somebody's healthy and reasonably energetic i'm usually going to test something in a session um and and then yeah just try to get that uh metric driven process going over time um the uh the hopping and bounding realm is another one where i'll I'll do like eight eight bounds for distance uh from a standstill or something like that that's usually like a pretty accessible test for people um sometimes i'll start them with four bounds for distance because it's just you know it's not as fast um but yeah so it's I, i do straight up combine style and then try to keep them getting better at those metrics over time Yeah, mine's not nearly as extensive as Dan's. 
Dan, Dan is like, that's, that's extensive. And it's like, it, that's, that's awesome. I think this is also a lens into just our, our personality types. You know, mine is going to be much more focused around exactly like what the athlete's telling me. And most of the time, like, let's say I'll use the volleyball girls, for example. Um, like their, their mes- metrics for whether training is successful or not is, is their vertical jump improving? And is their two-step approach jump improving? And it's really easy to use those as an assessment and ultimately like a barometer for whether or not that success is happening. And it varies from group to group, athlete to athlete. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's incredibly circumstantial around like what it is that the assessment is going to be in terms of like, for example, Dan mentioned, and I do this with my volleyball girls too, where um, I'm not, I'm probably not going to make max velocity um, something where I'm timing or something it's like the standard for whether or not their overall athleticism is improving, but they do do it and they do it on a regular basis because I know there's a lot of value in it, but that's not what's moving the needle for them. And it's not what's exciting for them either. So, you know, depending on the athlete, depending on what's important to them and, you know, Dan mentioned strength, um, you know, some athletes come to me and it is important, like that's important to them that their bench or their squat or their deadlift gets better. Um, and so what, what I'll do is from the beginning, I'll say, okay, great. Let's find out where you're at. And then we can use that over time to say like, Hey, here's where this is improving. Um, and use those things, the things that matter to them a lot. And then I have my things selfishly where it's like, I want to know how far they can broad jump or triple broad jump or are their hops improving? Um, so yeah, it's, it varies athlete to athlete. I do like to lean heavily on what they're telling me matters most. And then I can start to tease out or like, Hey, let's pick three or four things where these are going to be our markers for improvement, um, and ride with those. Um, so it's, it's a little collaborative in that, in that sense. Cool. So you guys, both of you, what's interesting is when I originally asked that question, I mentioned like the FMS and, you know, I think about Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the full spectrum, like the, I think usually people think assessment, it's like, cause you have like, I guess, macro to micro, or micro to macro level things, like something that's more like an FMS or anything related to that is going to be a little bit more micro. It's like, whereas if you're measuring someone's sprint time, there's multiple, you know, but subtle, but multiple strategies, uh, from a joint perspective that someone could get that eventual sprint time and you could observe that. But then you take that all the way down to something like, even like, a, I mean, it's, I've, I never actually did the FMS. I just watched it happen. That's like, you know, step over and the push up thing. And, but I, I think <laughs> yeah. about like, a, like a test that I would do for an athlete who, like, if they have an injury history, if they've had issues in the past and, you know, I want to get under the hood a little more, like, like a, like a straight leg race test or something under scrutiny and they're not cheating or something. That to me, that's like a micro, like a real micro. Mm-hmm. But I think that those, I think, you know, what generally the research has shown at least, and, and again, the, the, you know, all the stuff people post about the FMS, but I think with the, like the micro, you just have to be very, like I've seen people do that and they never come back to it or they come back to it, but like someone just got better at the test itself. But it's like, well, if it's sprinting is the test, you've been doing sprinting your whole life on some way, shape or form. So it's not like you game the test on that one, you know, and if you right. did get better, a lot of things got better. And I think about, I do think about like everything is an assessment, right? And and a lot of times even as well, like you can watch someone sprint and you can actually see hip extension showing up, I think. But part of it, too, is, you know, doing the hip extension test and the micro also helps you when you then look at that athlete sprinting. Like, oh, I see that that's jacked up there, you know, like or whatever. But you can have athletes do lunges and watch lunges closely and see something similar as well. So I think there's a lot of ways to end up getting that. But I just think 
you know, ultimately like trying to measure what really matters and what you, we see every day. And I think what we see every day is the easiest training is almost the first thing we should have in our assessment. And then branching out from that maybe are the little micros more that I guess that's the way I say it. I kind of just put that together a little bit as you guys are talking, but uh, that's, that's kind of how I do it as well. It's, it's more, it is start with a lot of the macro, but if I feel like I need to get into under the hood stuff at all, I'll, I'll venture there, but that's not what every athlete gets. Cause I feel like that can set the precedent up of, Oh, well, what's wrong with you? You know, you failed this, this, and this, and you know, now you're, <laughs> well, that's got to get better. You're a liability or whatever. And it's like, well, now you've just mentally, now you're underwater mentally a little bit before we even got started in some sense. And I think a lot of athletes just forget it. Like I did plenty of testing back in the day with, with a, a set protocol I was supposed to do. Uh, and working for a university that I, like, athletes would be like, yep, fail, fail, fail. And they would joke about it. Ha ha ha. And then, but we wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't even go back to it really, because I, I don't know, like, yeah. it's kind of funny. So yeah. Curious on your thoughts on that, like nocebo, like anything you'll do that's more micro, you know, at any point or thoughts on some of the more movement, uh, movement ish, uh, type assessments. So I'll, you know, I, I, I think I'd mentioned earlier around, you know, from a more micro perspective, now to kind of put it under that lens, it's like the, the, the dynamic warm up and being able, like, that's the first thing I have everyone do because it has all these rudiment elements of movement, or at least what I've perceived to be where, you know, there's a squat, there's a hinge, uh, a front lunge, a lateral lunge, um, and then into extensive, and then, well, I'll pause there. So like, you know, Instead of like if someone squats and it's a mess or they can't touch their toes or they, they don't know how to hinge, like uh, it's not a pass fail thing. Like, I, and this is an ode to assessment systems where like I've gone down those rabbit holes of overhead squat testing and PRI and, and all, all the different lenses that you can look at these things through and not all of them. I haven't obviously gone through all of them, but I've gone through and I've spent enough time. Yeah, it would take lifetimes uh, to have, go through all of them. <laughs> Yeah, gosh. And, but, um, you know, and I, I've been able to take bits and pieces from all of those things, but ultimately it, it doesn't become like a pass fail. It becomes, you know, what, what do I have in my toolbox that I can give them, whether it's constraints or removing things, whatever, to allow them to accomplish that task. And generally speaking, like nine times out of 10, especially when it comes to that, the, the more rudiment movement stuff you know, experience has probably given me the tools necessary to help them complete that task. And it doesn't have to be um, something where we're spending time um, going through a lot of breathing drills or having to fix anything about what their movement is. Um, and then also too, like when you get into the contacts, uh, like, you know, more extensive plyos and more int intense things, um, it can tell you a lot around, uh, particularly, you know, with athletes, what they're driving from, you know, is this person particularly elastic? Um, are they more like me, which is kind of slow and, you know, more, uh, more muscular driven, uh, in their movement. And, you know, those things can, you know, but between that and just getting an idea of how well they're, or how, you know, poorly, um, they're able to, to squat, lunge, hinge. Um, I got a lot of information right there. Um, and then, you know, going back to why that dynamic warm up is really useful over time is like, you can, it's, it, there's a double edged sword. because like one, they're getting better at the test, but like, isn't that a good thing? You know, particularly with, you know, a squat, a lunge, a hinge, uh, hopping, hopping on one foot, skipping, bounding, like these are tests that I want them 
to get good. Like I, I want them I to get good at these tests. Is it like that kind of like the whole purpose of, of what we're trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, you know, in that sense, like um, it, it's never, and you know, and, I, my my situation here at Collective, like I have a medical staff now too. So if someone isn't able mm-hmm. to do something, you know, and I know that I don't have anything that I can give them to get them out of that, then I can give them the medical and I can, we speak a lot of the same language, have a lot of the same background. So, you know, I, I've kind of got it easy in that regard. Um, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would just kind of second that, like, as far as the micro assessment, that's where the watching the warm-up is really as far as I take that generally. Um, yeah, I mean, you can see things when somebody does those basic movements like, oh, okay, they don't want to bend their knee today. There's something going on, you know? Right, it's, right. It's just qualitative assessment. It's not a formal test. There's no mm-hmm. scores. Um, you know, I do have cases of somebody like teenage males who are extremely tight in, in you know like the hamstrings in particular and then they try to hinge and they they can't or they you know they can barely move and it's like and i'm like hey okay we need that range of motion to change over time like that's going to be good for you um but it's still not a score it's i'm not actually measuring anything it's just um yeah you, you just it's qualitative you can identify things that you want to you know see them get better at from that uh but that yeah that's as far as the micro goes for me yeah, I just I think the bottom line, especially in the sports performance realm, and it is nice, like like you said, when, Tim, when you have like that sports medicine staff there, for it's like well, you could start with all the macro stuff, the performance oriented stuff, the stuff that doesn't need a number, and if a kid does need something, then they can go. That's more of a specialty thing. It's not everybody. It's not everyone gets singled out. Everyone has this wrong with you on that, you know. So I. I definitely, I definitely see the value in that. I, I did really want to. I know we're running out of time. I wanted to quickly cover um, just one or really two more things. Um, and the one is something I'd wanted to get to um, when you guys were mentioning it. And it's actually something, Dan. I think maybe I was thinking about asking you the last time you were on, but you guys already alluded to this. But it's the idea that, um, like, or maybe I'll just say this: When uh, and how do you see the inclusion of weightlifting in the grant and long-term development? In the sense that you were saying, like, it's the kids who are the most athletic that then get strong and do the most with it versus, you know, a kid who has had a horrible you know, pyramid base comes to the, this gym or whatever, get me strong. And, and it's just like, it's, it's just not going to be the same. Maybe their standing vertical goes up a little bit, but it's just not like the same result. Anyways, I'm, I'm kind of taking away from the question. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm adding on too much to the question here. I'm putting too much into the question. You guys, yeah, go ahead. Tell me what you think about that. I, we only got like 10 minutes left. So I was trying to make it a quicker thing, but yeah, let me know what you guys think there. So, yeah, it's kind of like what we alluded to before, where you want to have all the athletic and the specific, like explosive and elastic components in place first. And then you get easy transfer. And where I've learned this from is actually from adults. Um, You know, guys who have come to me looking to, you know, in their 30s, they're looking to like finally dunk. Um, And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've, sort of casually played tennis when I was younger. And, um, you know, I like to work out a little bit here and there. And now I want to go on this jump journey. And, uh, and then it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> once upon a time when I was, when I was 22, it was like, oh yeah, get your squat up. That'll work. 
And then, you know, you, you eventually learn like, no, it might not. They very well may add 80 pounds to their squat and jump like an inch higher. Like, it, you know, there's just not that any guarantee of transfer when you don't have that base, uh, that background of athleticism uh, or like athletic, you know, variety and, and uh, development. So this, yeah, there was a, a post I made sometime in the past couple of years about something along the lines of uh, you can't replace the childhood of athletic activity with a six week jump program or, you know, something like that. And, and, uh, I really, really believe that like you, you need that athletic diverse, uh, diverse background and then years of jumping. Like if you're going to get really good at jumping or years of sprinting, if you're going to get really good at sprinting. Um, so as far as the kids, yeah, I mean, I would gravitate toward waiting till they hit puberty to do like, you know, actual like weightlifting, like, uh, you know, maximum strength training. Um, I know, I, I don't think there's like evidence that it's going to be problematic if they do it at, at, at a young age, but, um, certainly it should not be something that makes up like a majority of their exercise or even, <laughs> you know, even a quarter of their exercise. It should be, you know, mm -hmm. a tiny, tiny fraction, if at all. Um, and yeah, so you really want to focus on those explosive components first. Yeah, so I think the the it's the when and how, you know, um, that really is is like the crux of the question here. And I, you know, to to kind of piggyback off what Dan was saying, I held me and um, uh, another trainer here. His, his name's Trey Hardy. He's um, a silver medalist uh, in the decathlon and a freak of nature. He's just an absolute alien. Um, we had this corporate thing where they wanted to come work out with them, right? It's like 14 people. They all work desk jobs. Well, within the context of these 14 people, um, one is a former Olympic diver, one played football for the university of Texas, and then some other, you know, uh, random, uh, athletic backgrounds. And if you had just lined these people up, um, and, uh, we, and we did a vert test. And if you'd line them up, you know, two stood out, the former athletes, but then everyone else kind of looked the same. There was no, and every single person, there was, you know, like Gary from accounting had like a 26 inch vertical. And I was like, hold on timeout. What is going on here? And he had played sports his whole life. He didn't really weight train anymore, but growing up, and then he had been a runner, uh, you know, uh, for the past, I don't know, 10 years of his professional life or whatever, right? So he's still getting in all these contacts. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, like, golly, if I could just get Gary under a bar or a hack squat for like six weeks, like what could Gary do, you know? Um, and I, I don't know that there's like a, all that to say, I don't know that there's like a perfect time I or, or like when it should be infused. Like, how do you, how can you quantify like when someone's ready? And, uh, you know, I, I think theoretically, as I'm teasing this out loud with you guys, like, maybe when the sprinting, the jumping, all of those things, like the potency, the return on the investment from just those things begins to stall like that in terms of like a logical progression makes the most sense for me where it's like, okay, like, you know, um, we're, we're not getting the feedback. We're not getting you know, the same sort of stimulus that we used to. Now let's introduce this new external um, tool implement um, and see how your body reacts and responds. So, uh, and I would almost assume, you know, 
with people being so different, you know, that might happen for someone at 15 and it might be 19 or 20 for someone else. Um, though I gotta say, it's like, you know, good luck keeping an ath- a male athlete, mm-hmm. 18, 19, 20 away from the weight room that long, <laughs> you know, uh, when there's so much correlation to ultimately realizing your eventual athletic potential with the weight room, you know? Um, so yeah, uh, I would say there's no, there's no true answer. My, my, the logical side of my brain says like when everything else stops driving performance, yeah, I like that. It fits a lot with what uh, folks like. Uh, I guess it's more like the ultimate athletic concepts type people. Yosef Johnson, Jeff Moyer, and uh, Jeff's talked a lot. Talked a lot, and then like the Russian literature, like like sensitivity. Like as soon as you incorporate something, you're now less sensitive to it, and let things run their course. And otherwise, it's like we have so much stuff available to us, especially today. Like all the means, like you could just do them all at once. I'm not going to get all the results quick. And yeah, maybe you could kind of for a little while, but it's like, there's something about letting something run its course until you're kind of eking things out. And then, and then you can put in the next stimulus. And like you said, it's going to be different for everybody. And I do think like, yeah, running like some basic, like, you know, just the skill of general strength training, like dumbbell, like goblet school, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a school, yep. you know, whatever. But it's, I do. And I think about my, you know, my own career a lot in the sense of, I didn't have a strength coach growing up. I figured out weights myself. And I remember in my early years, like trying to do squats. I'm like 14. I'm trying to like get this concrete bar, like like weights bar in my back. And I'm like, I don't know how the hell to do this. So I'm just going <laughs> to not. And I just did some wall sits and whatever. And But to be completely honest, I'm almost really glad that I didn't have a coach having me do like deadlifts and deep squats and things. Not that those aren't good. Those helped me a lot later. But I think mm-hmm. because I didn't have someone teaching me those things early on, and actually, so I did sumo deadlift when I was like in 10th grade and some cleans and stuff. And then I finally got into the, the more high intensity, like the deep squatting and stuff over the next two years. But I, I honestly think I'm a lot better off for what I eventually did was just track and field jumps, which was pure bounce. If mm-hmm. I, I think if I would have had a strength coach hitting me with the deep squats and deadlifts, all stuff when I was like 15 or 14 or end of middle school, I actually don't know if I would have done what I did because I think my athletic profile would have changed a little bit. And I also had the opportunity to get as much out as I as I could out of just like trying to dunk obsessively, doing all the random jump programs. And like, honestly, I think that was kind of good. And then I got into the, the actual meat and potatoes of the lifting later in high school. And when I did get that, then I even had another gear I didn't even know I had. And so it just it did stack really well for me. And then those main core lifts did help me through college as well. But I, I, I'm actually appreciative in my own journey that I didn't have someone actually, and I'm not saying every kid should be like that, but I think for what I ended up doing, that was super elastic and actually not like very standing vertical jump centric. That was an important progression. So um, I'm glad you mentioned that, Tim. Um, yeah, if you guys have anything to add to that, uh, definitely do. And then I'll just ask you guys before we get out of here, because I know our time's up. Uh, you guys have a jump program that you've worked on collectively. So um, yeah, any thoughts and then uh, share a little bit about your jump program and then we'll I was going to ask you about your epic, I'm sure, low rim dunking escapades, but or or ten foot or whatever you guys you know do. But uh, <laughs> when you get together and train, but yeah, um, any additional thoughts? You guys jump program, and then we'll uh, we'll close out the podcast here. Just just one more thing regarding the like you know when to start strength training. I will say, you know, I work with like middle school and high school athletes mostly, and. I haven't had the idea of like, oh, I wish that they wouldn't lift weights yet. Mm -hmm. But I have definitely, definitely had the idea of like, 
I wish they would lift weights much less than they do or much, much uh, more easily than they do. Um, yeah, I think it's here in Texas, like they start lifting in seventh grade, whether they want to or not mm. at school. And, and then it goes on. And if they're in, you know, especially if they're in football, like it's a big part of their, of their yearly training uh, plan. And uh, yeah, there have been plenty of young football players where I've been like, this dude's not going to get any faster after about freshman or sophomore year mm -hmm. because he's going on this path of strength versus uh, like over speed. And he's not like naturally explosive and talented with speed. So he needs to be focused more in that area. And if he's just like, you know, half of what he's doing is getting stronger, it's not going to produce the athleticism that he wants. So I've definitely had that thought of like, I wish it was playing a smaller role early on. Yeah, I, I tell, yeah, I've I got totally nothing else you. to add to that. That I, I agree. <laughs> so, Tim, you want to talk about jumping jack? Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, so uh, Dan and I collaborated. We created something called Jumping Jack. You know, a lot of jump programs are just that. It's just jumping. Um, and like the name implies, uh, you can jump high and get jacked. So Dan and I are both uh, 220 plus, and we can both jump, and we both love the dunk. And, uh, it was something where, and, and even more than that, it's, it's not just about being jacked and jumping. It's a full athletic development program. Um, and, uh, yeah, jump high, lift heavy, sweet pumps, run fast, um, <laughs> all the good stuff, man. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you guys so much. I, I know we left a lot of, we didn't even get into speed, but that's okay. A lot of, a lot of really good stuff covered in about an hour 15 here. So I, I really appreciate talking to you guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it's been fun. Awesome. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. We'll see you next week.